Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. It's fantastic to have you here with me. I hope you enjoyed the previous episode. This is going to be episode number 31. And I had mentioned on the previous uh, the previous one that uh, the next episode was going to be uh, a discussion about uh, the executive in some regard uh, and, and just kind of a, a punctuation of uh, the previous few episodes. But uh, that one's actually going to be the Monday episode. It's not going to be this one. I had corrected that towards the very end of the podcast, the previous episode, that is. And uh, But in case you didn't listen to the episode all the way through, just FYI, uh, this is going to actually be our short form uh, episode for the week. So anyway, uh, just going to be a quick discussion on this one. But still, thank you for joining me on this. And uh, also, obviously, um, you can join me on patreon.com slash podcast with Roman if you decide to. If not, just stick with this podcast and we'll continue to cover the Founding Fathers and the real history uh, surrounding the Founding Fathers, of course. And it is it is quite a, a long-form podcast that we're doing here. This is not a quick mini-series podcast on the uh, Founding Fathers. It's quite a bit, going to be quite a bit longer than that. So I appreciate you bearing with me on that. And giving the giving these folks the attention I, I feel like they deserve. Uh, these guys, a, lot, a great many of these folks went through some really trying times, and it's uh, it's good we don't forget about them. So in that regard, who were the founding fathers of the uh, the United States? A lot of people get this image in their head of very specific people: Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, John Adams, Samuel Adams, so on and so forth. But it's actually it's not just those guys, and it's not just the people who signed the Declaration of Independence. And it's not just the folks who are there at the Constitutional Convention. I mean, the people that mo- most most folks commonly think of when they think the Founding Fathers really amounts to about a hundred guys or so. And other than that, nobody, everybody else, don't, people don't really think about the other folks. So who were the Founding Fathers really? You know, I when I think about it, it's actually thousands and thousands of people, tens of thousands. And some folks might be wondering, well, who in the uh, tens of thousands? Are you sure there's tens of thousands of founding fathers in the United States? Yes. And why do I, and who are those people? Why do I say that? Well, of course, you have the the men who signed the Declaration of Independence, the folks who were there at the Constitutional Convention, perhaps. And then you have obviously the folks who were there at the state the state houses during the uh, the Revolutionary War, leading up to the Revolutionary War, and also after that. You know, folks like Patrick Henry. And then, but these are just the guys who were, were there to debate. And in some cases, there's overlap between those guys and the guys who were actually in the field getting shot at. Sometimes they were one and the same, but not always. Of course, we know George Washington was, was definitely one of those examples. He was in the Congress for a time. He was very active in Fairfax County, as we read about before the war. People in Virginia certainly knew who he was. And then once the war got started, he, uh, he went out into the field with uh, the rest of the Founding Fathers, so to speak, and they were getting shot at. Now, why do I count these guys amongst the Founding Fathers, the, the guys who were out there in the field? They paid the ultimate price. I mean, that's, that's part of it. Uh, not all of them, of course. There were plenty of people who served and survived, but there were a great many who did not. And why would we exclude those men from being founding fathers? Why would we say that now oh, they're they're soldiers, but they're not they're not the founding fathers? I don't know, you know. And, and I don't 
I don't think people do deliberately exclude them. I just don't think people think about it that way. I've never I've never really heard anybody talk about it that way before. But I, I really do include them as being members of the uh, the Founding Fathers. And I had mentioned this before. I didn't dwell on it too much. Um, I mentioned it more on my Patreon podcast than I did on this podcast. But there's, there's one particular monument, actually, that exists in the United States of America today that really, really clearly demonstrates the sacrifice of some of these folks. And it's called the... Uh, the Prison Ship Martyrs Monument, or at least that's what one one uh, one group calls it. It's in Fort Greene Park in Brooklyn, New York. And somewhere on that monument, it reads uh, roughly that 11,500 Americans were killed on board these British prison ships in some of the most brutal ways possible. You could possibly think to kill a human being. Uh, they, they died in re- really a torturous way. It was really quite horrible. And uh, I've mentioned it before, and I'll say it again. It was a war crime committed by the British military. And, I, and again, I want, you to, I, want, I, want you to, I want you to let that sink in. The British military, not too long before, was the military of these colonists. It was their government. And then their government, in a war against the colonists, many people saw this as a civil war. We've read that numerous times in the letters so far. They don't call it a revolutionary war leading up to it. They keep calling it a civil war, because that's the way they looked at it at the time. We call it the revolutionary war, but leading up to it, it was more commonly, the, the potential for it was more commonly referred to it as a civil war. And that same government goes for it goes forth and proceeds to commit a war crime, essentially multiple multiple war crimes. It wasn't just this one; there were there were others. But eleven thousand five hundred American prisoners of war murdered by the British military, and, and honestly, some of them were said to be just civilians. They weren't even serving in combat; just civilians who managed to get you know taken into these prison ships. And if it wasn't for these guys, you know, there would be no United States of America today. You can sign that Declaration of Independence all day long, and you can sign all the other state house documents in Virginia and so on and so forth, you can sign those documents all day long. It doesn't really matter unless you can get people to stand out in front of bullets. And, you know, thank goodness the United States was able to uh, was able to do that. We had a great crop of men that were willing to stand in front of bullets. And they did. And these men were very much a part of that group that I, I think of when I think of the Founding Fathers, because without them, there is no founding. There is no country. There's no Declaration of Independence. There's no Constitution of the United States. None of it exists without those men. So, of course, they're founding fathers. Of course, they are. And beyond that, beyond just the uh, the groups of people, whether they were in the Congress, they were in the state houses, or whether they were in the field, who were these guys, really? You know, we have a lot of different personalities. Benjamin Franklin, kind of a, kind of an interesting personality. Very famous personality. He was world famous before the war even began, began really. He really was world famous because of his... Uh, Invention, his uh, facility with invention, with electricity and, and other things, uh, the lightning rod being one of them, I believe, is, uh, he pioneered that, that concept. People who would eventually become world famous, George Washington. And all of these folks were, were very unique personalities for the most part. You know, they're, they're not a monolithic group of folks. They weren't all the same. I think sometimes people like to lump everybody in as being the same. You know, like, this person's the same as that person. Yeah, you know, they're all just the same. They're all just a bunch of farmers and you know, this, that, and the other thing. Well, yeah, some of them were farmers, some of them weren't. Some of them, some of them were lawyers and some of them were not. Some of them were doctors and some of them were not. Some of them were just regular guys who put it all on the line and went out there and did something that they felt was necessary for them to keep their rights and their liberties, not just for themselves, but for their families, their children, the next generation. And I think that's what makes the Founding Fathers particularly special, is a great many of these guys, they, they, they were really thinking about the next generation when they were thinking about 
their freedoms and their liberties, because especially the guys who were going out and getting shot at, they had every reason to expect that they were going to die. I mean, a great many of them, especially as the war dragged on and things started to look really bad in those first few years. Why were any of them really there? I mean, they, they, they had to be there for really only a few reasons, and one of them was probably their families, uh, their children, the next generation, and generations beyond, uh, which is what separates this generation of Americans from many other generations of Americans who really just think about themselves. More specifically, they think about their time. They don't think about the future. They don't think about the consequences of what's coming down the road. They just think about today. Uh, that, that kind of defines America uh, has defined America for a very long time, and some folks out there might disagree with me on that, and that's fine. You can disagree with me if you want to, but honestly, I cast a glance towards this country, and that's what I see. I see a country singularly focused on today, and not particularly focused on tomorrow uh, in any meaningful way. And of course, I don't mean everybody when I say that. I just mean, you know, in the aggregate, that's that's kind of the trend uh, that you see. And mostly, mostly, it's about what's going to make you know what, what's going to make people feel good today. But uh, I don't think the Founding Fathers were quite that way. I think they were they were a very different bunch of folks. And we read about one of those guys, uh, the carpenter, the ship's carpenter. Uh, a couple episodes ago, William Tudors kind of stumbled across the ship's carpenter out there in Boston. Uh, the way that guy sounds, he was quintessential Founding Father, patriot of this time. I mean, he didn't care how bad he had to suffer. He was not going to do what the dictator wanted him to do, uh, which again is what separates him from a lot of people today. Not everybody, again, for crying out loud, not everybody, but a lot of people today, um, they're, they're fairly well willing to do whatever the tyrant or the dictator, uh, should there be a tyrant or dictator, they're pretty well willing to do whatever that they want so long as they can keep their Netflix subscription, whatever, what have you. Um, that's pretty much the name of the game today. So it's a very different kind of person that we're dealing with in 1774-75 than we're dealing with today for the most part. Now, there's still a lot of people in the country, in the United States, and honestly around the world that are like that, but I don't know that it's, I don't know that I would consider it to be a majority of people. I, I certainly don't. And some argue whether it was a majority of people back then or not. Honestly, I tend to think it was. Maybe not so much willing to take to the field and, and square off with the British military, but um, certainly I think there was a large—judging by the letters and, and the feelings that are conveyed from John Adams and the various people in these letters about the sentiments of the folks in Massachusetts and Connecticut and all the rest of it, it seems like there was a great number of people that were really supportive— Perhaps not 100%, perhaps not in everything, but very, very much inclined to this. But uh, a lot of different unique personalities out there, you know, from a John Adams, George Washington, to that ship's carpenter out there on the port of Boston, William Tudor. And sometimes these personalities, you know, they come under attack. Thomas Jefferson is a very popular target uh, to come under attack for a couple of reasons. I'm not going to get into all the reasons just yet. I might talk about that later on down the road. But Thomas Jefferson, I mean, is practically uh, a punching bag. Uh, for historians and, you know, lay people who, frankly speaking, don't really understand history much. Uh, he, he really is a punching bag. Some of the other founding fathers are very much not uh, a punching bag for these folks. So what they—I I find that what folks try to do—the folks who don't like the founding fathers, what they do is they try to find these representative characters to, to stand in place of all the founding fathers. So Thomas Jefferson oftentimes is a stand-in for everybody who's considered to be a founding father— because Thomas Jefferson is such an easy target, uh, in, again, in at least a couple of ways. And I'm not saying that I agree with him being a target, by the way. I'm just saying he's an easy target. And so they try to kind of, they try to use him to label all of the Founding Fathers, which is a very specious way to try to analyze the Founding Fathers or talk about them, because they weren't all like Thomas Jefferson in, in, in any way you want to talk about, whether it's good qualities or bad qualities. Most people didn't have his intellect. 
for example, his his facility with uh, the written word, his ability to write and communicate, and also uh, some of his some of his more negative characteristics, uh, they didn't have that either. Every one of these people was a little bit different, but uh, and you you can you can kind of break them off into groups, but they're all very different people. And on on that note of the the founding fathers being attacked, you know the the one group of founding fathers that I almost never hear being attacked is the is the is those people who actually went out to the field and got shot at. They tend not to attack those people, and I think there's a reason for that. I think it's very hard to attack those folks because most of them were just farmers or townsfolk, you know, working in a shop somewhere. They're just working in a shop one day, minding their own business. Next thing you know, they sign up or they don't sign up. Maybe they're working in a shop someday and they hear the call come out that the British military is on the march in the countryside, and so they just stop their work, grab their rifle, and they start they start running off into the country. Just as an ordinary citizen, they're not even signed up to serve in combat under a, under a regular army. How do you attack a guy like that? How do, you, uh, ru- how do you try to ruin his character? I don't think you can. I think all you can do is try to label them all as a Thomas Jefferson-type character and say that Thomas Je- Jefferson was bad and evil and horrible, and so all the Founding Fathers were evil and horrible and bad, and what they did was evil, horrible, and bad. Never mind, you know, the, the poor guy who was really just trying to defend his, uh, his town and his rights, his liberties, and his property. He, go, he grabs his musket, goes off into the countryside to uh, defend his fellow citizen there in Massachusetts. Next thing you know, he catches a musket ball right in between the eyes, and he's dead. There's that founding father, too. It's not, it's not just the so-called rich Virginia farmer who's sitting up in the farmhouse you know, living high on the hog, which Thomas Jefferson, it's questionable whether or not he was living high on the hog at various points in his life, but let's just, let's just keep the fantasy going for a little bit longer, I suppose, to keep certain people happy. Even if you try to pretend like uh, Thomas Jefferson was just that way all the time. Again, the vast majority of the Founding Fathers were not that guy, but they did believe in the same concept of liberty and freedom, like what he wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. They did believe in that. And they did believe that uh, tyrants like King George III ought to be stopped and not listened to, and that the the charters of the colonies, their constitution, shouldn't be broken by a tyrant. And that's what makes them the founding fathers. They they it's what they believed and what they did. And I have a great respect for those guys. I really do. Again, most of them, you know, townsfolk and farmers. You know, we we talk about uh, military veterans today. The United States, at least most people in the United States, tend to hold, you know, America's military veterans in fairly high regard, and rightfully so. And we recognize them as veterans because they they signed up to serve in the the military. You know, but back in in the 1770s, it was a little bit different. Not, like I said before, not everybody signed up. Some people just went. They just grabbed their rifle and went into combat. No real formal training, necessarily. They certainly weren't professional soldiers. Some of them, perhaps, maybe fought in the French and Indian War. Most did not. But they are very much veterans of the war, just the same as any other, any veteran who signed up and actually served in a regular army. They are veterans as well, and uh, certainly founding fathers of the United States. So if anybody ever asks you, you know, describe the founding fathers, or when you think about the founding fathers, don't just think Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. Uh, keep in mind that it's, it's many thousands and thousands of people, and every single one of them played a very important role, a very important role. Whether it was, uh, you know, having the courage to stand up in Congress and commit what the British called treason and declare independence, declare it. Or whether it was uh, those folks who actually had the courage to go out to the field and make sure that that declaration 
was defended. The folks who had to actually defend what those people in Congress said. Those men were founding fathers, too. And some folks out there, you know, they might ask the question, well, what about the women? What about, were there were there any women who are founders of this country as well? You know, you could string together a logical argument that absolutely there there are. You know, we've talked a little bit about Abigail Adams and Mrs. Warren. Uh, there was a letter written by Mrs. Warren we talked about. And... You know, could we have a founding of the of the United States without the women that were very instrumental in informing their husbands, like a, an Abigail Adams to a John Adams or something of that nature, or a Martha Washington who spent some time out there in the field with her husband, practically. I mean, she went out to military camps uh, with her husband when he was, uh, you know, boxed up for the winter when they weren't really weren't, weren't really uh, engaged in combat. She wasn't out there in combat, of course, but she went out there to visit her husband, George Washington when things were a little bit more quiet on the front during the wintertime and whatnot. And yes, these women certainly did play in a very important role. And I think, you know, I don't think John Adams would be John Adams really without an Abigail Adams. You know, it, she was, um, she provided him good counsel, I think, most of the time. We've read some of her letters and she's very brilliant. And she's as much a patriot as John Adams was. Uh, it's important to remember the patriotism of these women that were very, very, strong in their beliefs in liberty and freedom i mean some of the some of the things you read in these letters i mean you can tell that they really do strongly believe in everything that the the founding fathers were fighting for they really do abigail adams certainly i mean she's right there she's on top of it you know she's she knows her stuff so yeah all these folks played a played a role in all this absolutely and there were plenty of people in the colonies who were not at all founding fathers they weren't they weren't at all you know, it was, the, of course, the loyalists, the people who are loyal to the British crown, the, the, the folks who would sell their grandmother for a nickel. And we've, we've talked about them before. You know, they, they and I, I don't know whether it's so much that they would sell their grandmother for a nickel. That's certainly the case with a lot of them. The others, honestly, I think they just, they don't care. I mean, they don't care about tyranny. They don't care about anything to do with their rights and liberties. They're perfectly happy to do whatever the king told them to do. I mean, if the king told them to put a gun to their head and pull the trigger, they'd probably do it. And we have people like that in the United States today. We know who they are. You know, it's it's the go-along-to-get-along kind of crowd, too. There's, there's a little bit of that mix in there. You know, the tyrant comes down with an order and says, you must do this, and then they just kind of go, okay, I guess I'll do it. I don't want my I don't want my delicate little life upset by anything, so I'll just go ahead and do it, even if it's wrong. Uh, I'll go do it. You know, that kind of thing. But so yeah, there, it's not like everybody in the colonies back then was a founding father. They certainly weren't. There was a, there was a whole whole large number of people that weren't. But the the ones that were were a great many people, and it was an incredible generation. You know, they call the World War II generation the greatest generation. That is to say, the generation that fought World War II. Uh, the folks who you know kind of grew up in the Great Depression and then went off to war in 1941. Do I think that they are the greatest generation? No, I do not. Oh my god. Oh my gosh, Roman, are you serious? What are you talking about, Roman? You mean they you you say they're not the greatest? I don't think that they were. I think that the uh the revolutionary war generation was the greatest generation. These people went to war, and let me tell you why. These people went to war when they had absolutely zero hope that they would win in the world in some cases. In some cases. I mean, what what, what reason did they have to think that they were going to win that war? I mean, so, so, believe, don't get me wrong, some of them did believe that they were going to win. But what reason did they have, other than their hopes and their aspirations and, in some cases, just delusional mind? <laughs> Sometimes it takes a delusional mind to go out and do the crazy stuff that actually gets things done. But what re what real, actual, tangible reason did they have to believe that they were going to win this thing against the British military? They didn't really have anything to point to, except, again, just their hopes and dreams and their their ability to get out there and, and do the hard work that needed to be done, they went ahead and did it anyway. And in some cases, they were willing to march barefoot in the snow. I'm not making that up. 
and they were willing to suffer the prison ships. Of course, they didn't know that was going to happen before the war. Frankly speaking, it's a good thing nobody told them about the prison ships before the war started. Otherwise, I don't know if they would have fought the war. Although, knowing these guys like, like I do from the letters that I read, they probably would do it anyway. At least most of them would. Some of them would probably be a little bit bashful about it, but I think most of them probably would. But they, they suffered a worse kind of prisoner of war situation, or at least as bad a prisoner of war situation as any soldier in World War II ever faced. The, the brutality on the battlefield was just as bad. I mean, I mean, standing shoulder to shoulder, walking straight into musket fire and cannon fire is, uh, is a pretty harrowing experience, I would imagine. It's not something ever, uh, that I would ever want to do, uh, unless it's absolutely necessary. And then again, the, the whole marching barefoot in the snow, very ill-equipped. Sometimes in freezing conditions, with little or no equipment to support them. They didn't have a good logistical system uh, to for, for food and resources and all the rest of it. The Congress certainly didn't want to pay for a whole lot of anything. Uh, at times, their weapons were uh, less than ideal, to say the least. And again, they, they didn't have a whole lot of hope that they were they were going to win in some cases. I mean, and that's why it was very hard to keep people in the military in the colonies at the, at the beginning. It was it was very bleak situation. It was kind of touch and go for a while. That's why we get things like Thomas Paine, you know, talking about the the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot and all the rest of it. It took a it took a very hard hardened individual to really make it through all that. And, and you know, because of the hardships that they endured, and because this war was fought practically in their backyard, I, I say that that generation is the greatest generation that this country has ever seen. And that's certainly not to diminish the quality of the generation that fought World War II, but. I, I think they were the greatest generation. That is to say, the Revolutionary War generation. Because I, I, I think the I think with the hardships that they endured and the the suffering that they went through in a great many cases was uh, was just as bad, if not worse, than that of the World War II generation. And the thing that keeps me up nights, the things that the things that you know that that's had me worried for a, for many years, and I think has worried a lot of people over the various generations that this country has seen, is that this country will never see that kind of person ever again. That that generation, once it was gone, the revolutionary generation, that is, it won't ever, it won't ever be seen again. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I, I think there's a great, like I said, there's a great many people in the United States who are always going to be like that. The only question that really, uh, the only question that it really matters is, is will they be enough? Will there be enough of them? And in many cases, uh, throughout history, throughout the history of the country, I think the answer to that question has been yes. But will it be that way forever? I don't know. But the, the, the only way that we're ever going to have a shot at that is to teach this history, to learn this history, and understand it. Why did those men do what they did? Why were they willing to march barefoot in the snow, getting shot at by the most professional army on the planet? Why were they willing to do it? It certainly wasn't the money. It wasn't for fame and fortune. So why did they do it? They didn't have to do it. They could have just thrown in with the British right? Because the reasons why they did it is are very, very important. And we have to understand that. We have to understand why they did it. And there's a great story to be had there. There really is a great story to be had. And we're learning that story on this podcast, slowly but surely. I know some folks might be thinking, man, this is taking a long time. We're still stuck in 1774 and 75. And he's like three months into this thing. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely a, a very real appraisal of the situation on this podcast. But, you know, like like uh, like I mentioned before, TLDR does not apply to, to me and what I do. My life is not defined by TLDR. And I know the folks, the, the loyal listeners of this podcast, the, those, those of you folks who are regulars here, I know that TLDR does not run your life either. I can tell. And that's what I like about you folks. I really do. 
Uh, so that's that's why I'm happy to do this podcast with you folks. And, you know, when you're thinking about who the Founding Fathers were and who are the characters involved and what are the personalities like and what are these what are these groups of folks that that call that we call the Founding Fathers? Who were they? You know, think about, uh, you know, all of them. Think about the whole the whole set of them, you know, not just those folks who signed the Declaration and not just the folks who were in the Congress and not just General Washington as far as the, the, the you know, the people out in the field and the generals perhaps that were there, but absolutely every one of them. And not just the the privates, you know, and the sergeants and the enlisted the enlisted men and the, the officers and all the rest of it, but uh, the folks who weren't even in the military. They just, they just, you know, one day they, they heard the British military was coming down the road to violate the rights of the colonists, and they grabbed their rifle and they went out there and they did what they had to do. Just a farmer who had a wife and kids, perhaps, out there on the farm, but he grabbed his rifle and he went anyway. And some of those farmers, they didn't come back. And think about that. You know, the wife and kids sees, sees their, um, sees, you know, the husband, the father, grab his rifle and go out there to the field because he hears that the British, the British army's on the march. And he's got to go out there and he's got to defend his community. And they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And he never comes back. But sure enough, his wife and his kids, you fast forward a few years down the road, they live in the United States of America. And it's because of him. It's because of what he did. Because he was a founding father. And I may not know exactly that man's name. In some cases I do, but in some, ca- in many cases I don't. And we never will know the names of all those men who went out there like that. But what we can do is we can remember the, the kind of person that they were. And that they were there. They were real. And they really did what they did. And there was nothing more important than their freedom and their liberty. And shouldn't we feel the same today? Nothing is more important than our freedom and our liberty. Why? Because that's the thing that can last. That Netflix subscription and all the rest of it, it's going to be gone someday. But that freedom and that liberty can last for generations. And we have it today in the United States of America to the extent we still do have it. And we've lost some of it, but we do still have a lot of it. And the reason why we do is because of that guy, you know, in 1775. In part, amongst other things. He's not the only reason why, but that's a big part of it. And, I, you know, think about him when you think of the Founding Fathers, not just Benjamin Franklin. And so I certainly appreciate you folks joining me on this episode as I talk about who the founding fathers were. You know, they're they're you know the personalities, but also the groups of folks you know behind the scenes that you don't really think about. Uh, I mean, we think about the soldiers who fought in the war, but do we think do we commonly refer to them as the founding fathers? Not really. I mean, we we just refer to the you know the folks in Congress and whatnot typically as the founding fathers. At least that's the way I hear people talk about it most of the time. There's nothing really wrong with that, except it just you know I think I think we you know need to broaden our our definition of the founding fathers. To include especially, you know, those those unknown soldiers who really weren't even soldiers to begin with. They just grabbed a musket and went out and fought and did what they had to do. Those were some good folks. Those were some really good folks. And I certainly appreciate them. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to hear me discuss what these guys were like and who they were. And like I said, we're going to be talking a lot more about them. And we're going to be continuing the podcast We're going to keep the train going, and I I certainly am honored to have you all with me on that journey. It's going to be fantastic. So on that note, I look forward to the next episode. It's going to be a long-form episode, uh, per usual, uh, for the next Monday episode. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. And I hope uh, you'll all join me back here on this podcast for that episode. And with that, this is Roman signing off. Thank you.